Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. I'm Aaron, and welcome to episode three of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. So, Brian, what are you wearing? Aaron, I'm glad you asked. Today, I'm, I'm wearing formal attire because we have a very, very distinguished guest today. Not only is he a high-ranking officer of the Clouderati, but he has really, really good information about how to successfully build private and hybrid clouds. And uh, so did we make any progress on uh, finding every man, you know, like a Joe or a John? Well, maybe, maybe. Folks are going to have to stay tuned. We're working out the details on that. Obviously, a lot of contract negotiation has to go on, but uh, I think we're going to have something here in the next week or so. It should be a lot of fun. Should be uh, should be really interesting. Hey, Aaron, uh, before we get to our guest, um, one thing real quick, a couple things real quick. One, um, we need to make sure we don't go Chris Farley on these guys. We need to make sure we don't do that whole, like, you know, get wrapped up in them being famous. And, and us, you know, kind of worshiping them from from near. Uh, the other thing, uh, quick format note about the show. So, um, you know, we're going to have, like we, we said early on, we want the show to be a really a mix of stuff, right? So it's going to be some awesome guests. It's going to be news. It's going to be, you know, us giving insight on stuff. And sometimes, you know, our goal has always been we want this show to be, you know, about the length of something that somebody can listen to in a commute to work or something that's easily consumable. So, you know, we're going to have a mix of stuff. We're going to have some, we're going to have some interviews and stuff that go long. Some will be short. Um, you know, in this case, uh, the, the discussion we're going to have might run a little bit long because it's, it's, it's an awesome guest. So I just want to prep folks uh, to, to, to listen to the whole thing. Um, the insight that they provide is really, really good. Um, anything else? Are you ready to go for this interview? I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think that's it. Let's go to the interview. Fantastic. Let's get going. Okay, here we go. We've got our very first guest on the uh, on the Cloudcast this morning. We've got Christian Riley um, from the Loose Couple blog and at Riley USA from Twitter. Christian, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, guys. I'm very well, thank you. Good. Glad you could, glad you come on. And, and for those of you that don't know, Christian is the president of the private cloud. So we talked a little bit uh, the other day on Twitter that we were going to go top of the food chain for this podcast, and we absolutely figured we had to go to the top. Christian, how did you get the title of president of the private cloud? <laughs> That's a funny story, actually. Um, I think we uh, we got to grips with the Clouderati guys on Twitter, who are a fantastic bunch of guys to follow on there with uh, incredible depth of knowledge of, of cloud in general. Um, and then oh, I think I was a little bit of an imposter in the Clouderati originally. And then I think uh, the guys figured out that I had a pretty good and interesting story and experience around the private cloud piece. And then therefore I got the term of the president of the private cloud um, somewhat jokingly. But uh, but it's been kind of interesting that it's stuck. So you, you're you sort of a, an, an, an adamant defender of, of sort of the concept of private cloud. Can you Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you do on a day-to-day basis or, you know, how you got involved with it and, and, and why to a certain extent you, did, you, know, you sort of defend the concept of private cloud? Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very interesting topic of whether the private cloud does or doesn't exist. And of course, you know, a lot of people will tell you that it's just a, the next generation of, of private data center technology, which, you know, I can kind of agree with in some cases. Um, but, you know, I mean, over the last few years, we, we really have built out a brand new environment to support our global business, which when you think about the organization that, that I come from, we do some very complex stuff around the world. And there's absolutely no doubt that, you know, kind of the private cloud that we've built is definitely a benefit to that business. We can do things a lot differently now in terms of speed to provision the services that we need to get out to our users around the world. 
And I'm not sure that that's just based on virtualization technology alone. There's a lot more things that we've done that constitute our private cloud approach. So essentially, the the kind of the, the overarching concept of it was that we build a repeatable environment for delivering services as quickly as we can to any of our users around the world. And you can imagine that we're in over 60 countries around the world. So that's a, that's a big deal from an IT perspective. And without transforming the kind of the environment that we did and without building our private cloud, which we are, of course, fiercely proud of, I don't think we'd been, we would have been able to respond as quickly as we can to our very changing business demands. So take us back, walk us, walk us through. So the private cloud sort of concept has, has been, I don't know, people have started talking about it last couple of years. You guys were doing it, you know, maybe as far back as 2008, 2007, you started planning for it. Like, walk us through, what were the, what was sort of the, the, the initial discussions? What were the things that people said, uh, your CIO or your organization said, you know, we got, A, we got to do things different. There's, there's some sort of problem we've got that we've got to do it different. And then, you know, when, when people talk about, forget about private cloud or public cloud, right? They're talking about doing something different in their organization. Um, I mean, there's a technology piece to it, but there, I mean, there's, there's a huge piece of just people and skills and, and how things were organized. Like, how did you guys get started with this? What was the, you know, what was the sort of the, the trigger moment or what were the big things that, that you had to deal with to get started with this? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. So let, let, me, let me take you back in time to, to March of 2007. So I guess we're just coming up on four years ago. Um, our CIO called a meeting of, of several of the, the guys that worked for the CTO and we got into Palo Alto and got in locked in a room and the CIO said, you know, guys, the business is telling us that things are going to be very, very different in the way that we do what we do. And the way that we do IT to support that today, it's not sustainable. We can't do it the way we do it. We're not fast enough. We're not, we're not agile enough. We, we can't deliver what the business is telling us they need. So we've got a big problem. And the, I kind of want to divert for a second to just kind of explain how important it is to have the business alignment. And it's a much maligned term and, you know, a lot of people look at it and say, well, yeah, business alignment, what does it really mean? But I think if you've got a CIO that's engaged at the, at the board level and can really, really bring the business challenges to an IT group, it's amazing what you can achieve. And I think a lot of companies that we talk to and a lot of organizations that we've, we've been dealing with, you know, they're really looking for a reason to do cloud. And I think if that's that way around, they're going to have a lot of problems. I think you really have to understand the business challenges and how to apply the cloud technologies, whatever they are, to meet those. And you can only really do that with the business alignment. So a little bit of a diversion there, but I think it's really important that people understand that, that you know, from our experience, unless you've got the business alignment, it's really hard to make the steps into justifying why you need to make some significant changes that, that we made. Yeah. And so with, with that said, um, you know, we got these guys together, and, and I got to tell you, th- these are guys that we used to do in IT in the way that, that large organisations have done IT. And when you get a bunch of guys together and say, "Guys, you know, draw me the future, show me what it looks like," you see a lot of blank faces because yeah. people are used to doing things in, in incremental, you know, kind of no, no step changes. It's very incremental. And after a couple of days, our CIO, you know, kind of very kindly but very firmly said, "Guys, you're not getting it. It needs to be totally different." And then there was this kind of aha moment when, you know, the kind of the guys stood up and started drawing clouds and different things. And if we did, if we did the organization all over again tomorrow, would we do it the same way? And of course, the answer was no, we wouldn't. And so that was kind of where it was born. And it was born absolutely 100% of the business telling us that, that, you know, things were going to be very different from the numbers of people involved in what we do to the locations involved in what we do. Um, you know, so essentially, we, we were looking at an unsustainable IT organization that needed radical change. Hey, and Christian, one other 
thing that I think is very important, it's almost like an underlying point in all of that is, so a, a softball question for you is, how much of those discussions when you did your redesign was focused around a type of technology versus serving applications and solving a business need? It's interesting, you know, again, back in, and you've got to remember that we're, we're sort of speaking in the, in the past here a little bit. In 2007, you know, there really was no public cloud infrastructure available or, or public cloud services available, certainly nothing like there is today. You know, AWS was, was very fledgling, and of course there were not many others, other than the typical sort of colo providers and, and some ASP-type type, uh, provisions, none of which necessarily fit what, what we were trying to achieve. And so it really didn't become a question of technology necessarily. It became a question of what is it we're trying to solve? How, how are we trying to provide the applications to the people when you have a challenge where those people are, are further and further the field and one of the big challenges is that the people that you're providing the application access to aren't necessarily your own people and so when you have that very distributed model in terms of locations and 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 people it doesn't drive you necessarily towards a technology it drives you to how am i going to do this how am i going to achieve it where do i need to be geo geographically what do i need to have in those locations of course knowing knowing your own line of business applications like most of the, the listeners will do you know you have to figure it out from that perspective who, who am i trying to connect to what and the technology just kind of falls out from under that so you guys so you obviously had a, a pretty visionary cio do you get the sense was he did his man, you know, his, so he got he got pushed very hard by the business and said, "Look, you've got to do things differently." Do you get the sense that that your business specifically sort of pushed him, or or is he uh, was he getting his his input from a lot of other companies? So sort of was he looking at at your competition, your his peers in the industry? I mean, where, like, how does he? I mean, that's a big step for for a CIO or or somebody at that level to say, "Look, we gotta we gotta sort of look ourselves in the face, realize that you know maybe maybe we we don't do things as well as we should, or just you know the world's different." I mean, where did where did he kind of get the motivation from? Was it just his business or or from from all over the place so yeah again a really good question so um i'll, I'll tell you it, it, it's kind of a bit of both and i'll, I'll focus on the kind of the business side first uh, you know again i see i was a great guy and obviously very well respected in in the business um has a good seat at the table understands the business understands the strategy understands the challenges and, and the drivers so once you've got a cio that can do that and then can filter those challenges down to to the organization as a whole then you're kind of onto a winner in, in some, some respects anyway in terms of the alignment that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, but one of the other things at the time, and again, this is kind of where the visionary piece of the CIO kicks in. So, you know, we've got a, we've got a kind of a, a very twofold CIO, one guy that understands his own business very well, but one guy that understands direction and industry and trends very well. Um, and at the time, you know, consumerization, and although it's, a, it's, a, it's somewhat of a unfortunate word now i think it's been overused but again back in 2007 when we were beginning to see a big change in, in consumerization and we actually did a quite a an in-depth uh, this set of discussions with some of the guys on sandhill road trying to understand what was driving the investment in consumerization you know we knew that things like youtube uh, were, were pretty new at the time um you know things like say Salesforce were new with a whole consumerization approach to how you provide complex applications. And so we spent a lot of time in, in the Silicon Valley understanding what was going on down there in terms of investments and how that investments uh, were kind of panning out. And we learned that at the time that for every $10 invested, $9 of that was in the consumer space and only $1 in the traditional enterprise space. And so 
one of the things that was kind of the driving uh, force behind our, our approach of, of kind of what do we build and how do we build it was the CIO telling us guys, you know, everything has to work with just a browser and an internet connection. And then when you think about what we had in terms of legacy and what we've built over time to get to his vision, uh, it's a huge challenge. But the, the, the driving force came from we need to make it simple for our people to use our applications. And, and, it, and it really was focused around consumerization. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that makes sense. That even, even today, I think, I think we, we hear from a lot of people, and I, I know we hear it from, from all the tech, you know, so all the techies is like, God, I wish my email ran like something else that I use all the time. I wish my... You know, I wish we had something like Dropbox. I wish we had something like, you know, name your favorite service. So, you know, back then, you know, back then people weren't even calling things cloud at the time, right? It was just sort of the internet and it was a different way of doing stuff. Do you guys, have you found um, today your, your CIO, yourself, people would say, okay, what you do is private cloud. But, you know, at the time or even over the last couple of years, were you guys calling it cloud? I mean, was there sort of a distinction that, what you did was was trying to mimic what what goes on in the internet, or was it just you know we're going through a transformation because this is what our business needs? I mean, did, did you get hung up in the terminology stuff very much? You know, no, not not at all. I mean, the, the cloud thing is a is a relatively recent thing. Um, the the program and it's still called the same thing internally. The, the program that we have was actually called the Project Services Network, which essentially was a moniker for us to to kind of get all the technology, all the people, all the process, all the new things. From the you know kind of the the way that we built the new infrastructure all the way to to how we support that was really intended for us to to kind of use the name so that everybody would understand that what we're doing is serving our business, which of course are, are projects. And so the cloud thing has been a fairly recent ter- terminology, and not that we've tried to particularly um, you know align ourselves with it, but you know there have been several articles that have been commissioned on on what we've done. Um, CIO Magazine, Network World, and such that have actually used that term "private cloud." So, so really, we, we didn't necessarily go looking for that. Um, I, I think, in in some respects, in much the same way, I think is is why the the internet and the web in general was so successful is that nobody tried to pigeonhole it or try to you know, kind of explain what it was. It had this very organic growth and, and spectacular growth, and I think that's kind of the challenge today in cloud. If you want to try and start pigeonholing yourself, that you know, you end up sort of trying to tie yourself to a definition and whether that's NIST's or anybody else's. Um, and I think in some kind of weird way, you actually end up limiting what you could achieve because you try and fit something into a box that I don't really think is necessarily uh, the right thing to do. So uh, we never went to went, went out to call it uh, the, the private cloud. I think other people did that for us. Um, and of course, the reason why we sort of stuck to the private cloud name is because people are beginning to to hear a lot about cloud. You know, you, you can't watch a, a TV show now without hearing, <laughs> you know, certain uh, organizations talk about cloud. And so, um, again, back to the consumerization piece, it's really important that we sort of tried to keep that cloud momentum going because in the same way now that you can, you know, go to the famous vendor and, and you know, if you want to access your, uh, your home machine from an airport while you're waiting for a delayed flight and call that cloud, then that's great. Um, but in the same way, you know, our users now, they use services from, from all, a lot of locations around the world, and they really have no idea where they're coming from. So as far as those guys are concerned, they use the same internet connection and the same browser to get to our things as they would to get to any of the self-proclaimed uh, cloud services that are out there. So in terms of just trying to tie it together, it really is, is done again around the consumerization approach of how we deliver services now and how those services are being delivered in, in uh, public cloud services. Christian, what 
tell us a little bit about your solution. Obviously, there's some things you can talk about and some things you can't talk about, but, but what are the public things you can tell us about the solution that you built? Yeah, so, you know, there's a kind of, obviously, there's a lot to it um, when you deal with the line of business application portfolio that, that's as complex and as large as the one we have. There's obviously different solutions that, that, you, that you come to over time. Um, but I will start by saying, you know, and I, I think I've gone on record as saying this before, but, you know, virtualization is the, is the absolute cornerstone of it all. Um, not that I, I would say that virtualization alone makes a cloud, be that private or public, but in terms of being able to get a different approach to the way that you deal with providing servers and storage and network from a virtualization perspective, I think you know, we absolutely have to do that to, to start your cloud journey. Now, whether you want to make that a hybrid or a public or a private cloud discussion, great. You know, sure, there's many conversations we could have on that separately. But I think, you know, the virtualization is, is the key piece to that. So today, our, our environment, um, give you a little bit of history. We had a number of data centers around the world before we started this effort. And as part of the effort, we, we sort of, we would, we used to run our own data centers in our own locations. And that worked okay for for a while, but as the business changed and the geograph- geographies changed and the numbers of people involved changed, that became a little bit of a hard thing to do because it's very hard to connect people to that information from a network perspective if you own lots of data centers that are not necessarily serving up uh, the information from where the bulk of the users are. And so one of the big things that we did was move to a model where we basically, instead of bringing the network to data, we took the data to the network, which means relocating our core data centers at large internet exchanges, you know, kind of carrier hotels, if you will, in, in strategic locations around the world. And so we went from a number of, of, of global data centers now to just three main data centers around the world, which are highly virtualized. We're over 95% virtualized in each of those. And I think there's somewhere in the region of north of 4,000 virtual machines that, that make our, our estate today around the world. So virtualization is the absolute key to, to to the start. And so, I mean, so obviously, if you're at, if you're at ninety five percent, I mean, that's that's almost every one of the applications, including those those ones the line of business guys, you know, a couple of years ago probably were like, no, there's no way I need dedicated iron. I know exactly what the response. I'm mean, like, how did you how did you sort of get folks through that? Was it was it about saying, look, this is our new model and this is the way we're doing, it, or did you have to sort of go line out, you know, line of business to line of business, app by app? How, how do you how do you push through that? Because a lot of people get stuck. They get stuck at twenty fifteen twenty percent. They fight the they fight the guys with the big legacy applications or the big database how, how'd you push through that yeah so it, it, it's a great question um let me take it in two parts if, if, if i may because there's a client piece to it and there's this kind of the back end piece to it you know it, i guess it's no surprise and, and, and no secret that we're a, a very big user and have been for a while and have, have a good relationship with with citrix primarily because we we had a lot of legacy applications and i think this is one of the biggest challenges that large organizations have to deal with is what do i do with the legacy technology because let's face it you know it's really most organizations have a hell of a lot of legacy and so you have to have a strategy with how to deal with the legacy and, and we decided very early on that we would use citrix technology to help us better provide access to the client pieces of the large number of client server apps that we still had. So once you do that, you you know you kind of have that strategy. It's very, very simple to deal with providing good, you know, sort of repeatable quality, whatever you want to call it, access to the client piece of the applications. The back end becomes a little bit of a different 
question because it's really not that difficult once you have um, the client piece figured out. Um, the back end's kind of, uh, really that's more of a just as a business as usual thing. We didn't get too much pushback within the organization about virtualization in general. Um, I, I wouldn't say, and again, it's kind of another pitfall that, that, that I would say that other people should go in with eyes wide open. It's very easy to over-provision capacity and that's probably not a bad thing if you if you want to break through some barriers in in hindsight now and when we look at it you know have have we got an absolutely fantastically linked usage to provision in terms of applications no not at all um but that helped us to 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 get to where we needed to be and even if we had to over provision in some cases that allowed us to at least let the line of business guys know and the developer guys know that, hey, you know, you're not going to suffer any performance penalty. You've kind of got the same amount of compute and you've got the same amount of memory and, and whatever else not. So, you know, please just just let us get on with the back end pieces. I know. And as long as your application uh, functions in, in the way that you expect it to do, then we'll, we'll call it a, a good result for everybody. And of course, you know, there's, a, there's kind of an internal sales pitch that goes on there with being able to explain to the line of business owners that, you know, your applications are now a lot more uh, mobile in terms of being able to move them around in the back end. You know, we can move them for performance reasons. We can move them for, you know, workload shifting reasons. And you can't do that when you're tied to, to physical iron, of course. And so there's a little bit of a sales job that goes on there. Um, but what overall, and kind of just the bigger wrapper around this, and again, critical piece of what we did, there's a certification process that we went through for every application that we moved. So whether that was the front end and the back end or the back end and just not the front end or whichever way it was, every application went through a certification process to with the line of business owners engaged to say, yep, okay, it's fine, it works, all the key functions work, it performs well, the users are happy in terms of the fact that you know we pick a handful of users for every application and only when those applications are certified do they get to, you know the kind of the check mark to say that they are private cloud ready in, in quote marks. So it's sort of interesting, Aaron. Uh, you and I have talked about this a bunch of times, right? It's there's there's a ton of technology that goes on behind this, and the the interesting thing is so much of this stuff over time, and and, and Christian just sort of highlighted on it, it. It almost becomes less sometimes about technology, and to a certain extent, even if you're a technologist, you've got to have a certain amount of. I, I don't want to say sales because that'll give people a rash, but there's a little bit of sort of psychiatrist or or psychology involved with this, right? I mean, you've got to figure out a way to to help people go through change or deal with change and and sometimes it's it's just having expertise in a level of technology so you're just conveying confidence and sometimes it's like you said it's it's you know maybe over provisioning for those first few applications make sure they feel like their their performance is great they'll go off and tell their other friends like hey oh what these guys are doing is good it works like Aaron you you deal with that all the time cuz you you've kind of gone through the you know own every certification under the sun and then when it <laughs> and then when it comes to when it comes to actually going out and working with you know with with customers and with other partners you know some of the technology melts away right it's about how do i put all it put it all together and explain it to people that's exactly right because what happens a lot of times is you'll be sitting there whiteboarding in front of a customer doing your typical pre-sales. What, what are we trying to solve here? What, at the end of the day, what is the goal, right? What's the success criteria? And guess what? 90% of the time, it's the exact same thing. And all you're doing is 
building the solution with different jigsaw puzzle pieces and you're putting them together in a different way and some of them fit better than others for certain solutions and and absolutely at the end of the day it's about delivering solutions and so Christian I'll ask you this as kind of as a follow on to all that because something else I've also seen over over time is you kind of go in with you know, again quote unquote the sales pitch right certain pieces you think are just going to kill and they just fall on their face. And there's other things that you never thought of that the customer will just take it and run with it. And then your, your kind of your sales pitch changes over time, right? And so what did you at the beginning of the, uh, the project kind of think? This is the, this is the things they're going to love. And then what did they end up loving in the end? And was it the same? There's a there's an interesting sub story to a lot of this, and to to kind of answer your question, I'd need to just spend a little bit of time on it. But you know, one of the things that I think sets our environment apart from from others that I've seen or others that I've talked about is that we didn't just go after this as a server virtualization thing, nor did we go after it from the point of view of you know we want to try and 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 move everything to a public cloud because that seems to be the kind of the preferred mechanism for for all things cloud but really we went after an entire what we call the workspace and so if you think about it again I kind of go back a little bit to talk about some of the the different ways that people can do things now you know from any location anywhere in the world with an internet connection now you can get to pretty much everything that you need to do for your day job whether that be applications whether that be your desk phone whether that be a desktop whatever it is wherever you are whether you're on a network that we control or whether you're on a network that we don't control securely you can get to pretty much everything you need to do and people look at us kind of scratch their head when when we talk about the phone system which you know most people don't think about phone systems in terms of cloud but if you think about phone systems in terms of the way that they used to be deployed in large enterprises then you know there were big investments there were difficult configurations there were big boxes per location to support you know 1000 1500 2000 what people whatever it was so you know when we made the the kind of the, the approach into all of this we said you know let's let's take everything that we can find that can be put inside the quote marks cloud to make it easier ultimately for, for our users to consume things so some of the things that we didn't necessarily think would have the biggest impact have had the biggest impact like you know now you can use your cisco mobile client to get to your phone from your iphone and things like that are huge from a consumer perspective so a user now can be in a hotel think hey i've got to get to my voicemail or i've got to get to my you know my work phone and they can just go ahead and use the mobile client from you know ipad or iphone and get to my work phone now that's pretty big you know if you think about that in terms of of a kind of a corporate skype if you will or some other kind of service that allows you to do that that's that's huge in in, in terms of um user impact and so if you take that down a couple of notches and say it's the same thing for whether you're trying to get to, to applications or whether you're trying to get to, to web services or whatever it is, being able to make those things so simple to use that everybody kind of loves it is a great accolade. Um, and it's hard to do, and, and you have to have a lot of thick skin to make this change. But you know the things that we didn't necessarily think would be big hits, I mean, you know, if you think about it, if you can access an application one way today and access it one way tomorrow in this and you're in the same office, then perhaps that's not all that exciting. But then, you know, be stuck at an airport or be stuck in a hotel, you know, somewhere in the middle of some of the countries that we operate in, um, you know, and be able to get to everything, that's a big deal. So I would say that, you know, the way that we've made everything relatively 
relatively simple for the user to get to, and it all comes back to that again, that consumerization word. Um, I think things like being able to to get to you know your phone or being able to participate in a video conference with ten of your colleagues around the world just by you know opening the lid of your laptop and saying go is a big deal, and it's masking a lot of complexity underneath, of course. But sure. really, that's what that's what we were in it to build, which was this you know instant on connectivity and, and capability to anything you need to do your day job. And to add a point to that, I would add the the transportability, the the fact that take for instance a laptop, right? You can almost treat a laptop as uh, you know an IP phone sitting on the on a desk because the fact that the data isn't tied to the laptop or to the the device. It could be an iPad, it could be a laptop, it could be a Windows PC. That is completely independent because the data is transportable. Uh, across pretty much any of the devices, I think is a key there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of just sort of tongue-in-cheek say that, that a lot of this is, I wouldn't call it dumb luck, but a lot of this is about timing. So you think about the iPad as an example. It wasn't even a year ago before, you know, the, that the iPad was born. So I think it's probably, it was, I'm sure it was April or whatever it was of last year. But, you know, the proliferation of devices in our environment now is is huge. And there's absolutely no way we would have been able to react to that consumer pull. A lot of our senior vice presidents are walking around the halls of the organization now with iPads. And on those iPads are their work phone. And on those iPads are dashboards to information. And there is absolutely no way we could have, we could have dreamed of being as responsive as we've been if we hadn't gone through you know, from 2007 and built this platform which obviously became the private cloud, um, to, to offer those services. And, and really the speed of being able to do that is absolutely the key successful end point, if you will, of, of what we've done. And being able to react in the way that we can react is, is, is essentially the success of the private cloud delivered. Sure. And, and so a follow-up to kind of the original talking about the solution, since you built all of this before stacks became cool and before clouds became cool and they are you know the buzzwords of the year right how much of an advantage or disadvantage did you have with that clean sheet of paper that you didn't have technology or terminology that you know when somebody thinks about cloud they 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 might immediately think of this kind of solution when you have that clean sheet of paper what happens it's kind of interesting wait wait you'd think um, you know, when you're asked to rebuild an, an, a huge IT environment, a global IT environment, um, literally from a, from a what was essentially a blank canvas, it's really quite hard to do. And I, you know, it was hard in 2007. I would imagine it's even more difficult now, just because of the sheer number of options that are out there. You know, I, I think it, from a from a public cloud perspective, you know, it's kind of obvious who you might choose there in terms of doing some initial, depending on which particular AAS you're after, there are obviously some clear leaders out there. The private cloud's a little bit more difficult because I think at the moment still, one of the big challenges that I see out there um, are not necessarily who to pick for the hypervisor, but what to do after that. If you you really want to get to to a true private cloud, in my definition, and and let's leave the money thing aside in terms of, you know, I can turn off cost in the public cloud, I can't turn it off in private cloud. Well, fair enough, and and I admit that is kind of a big differentiator. But if you think about it in terms of what I can do from a business perspective, we really, really need as an an industry, I I guess, not just as an organization, to focus a lot more on the automation and orchestration pieces because, you know, as I mentioned before, virtualization is a cornerstone, but it's certainly not a panacea. 
you know, being able to deal above the hypervisor with orchestration, with with uh, application level management in terms of how do I take nine VMs and group those as an application that has intelligence around when it needs to add more components, when it needs to scale, when it needs to do different components configurations when it needs to move across geographical boundaries that's the kind of thing that i think will really really make the the, the private cloud a huge success going forward in, in big organ and small organizations alike but i think there's so much choice out there and there's so much misunderstanding of, of, of not only on the vendor side but on the the organization the receiving organization the, the, the customer side a lot of people don't really know what they want to ask for and a lot of vendors don't really know how to hit a sweet spot so i think there's a there's an interestingly widening challenge there around organizations that that want to do private cloud and vendors that want to sell it but i'm not really sure that they could define what would be a mutual success right now and i think that's an interesting challenge for today so I'm I'm glad you brought that up sort of specifically one because I, I think this has been a, this has been a fantastic conversation so far and I think we probably could go on for a while about you know how people adopted sort of changes to IT or or internal private cloud how the the organization shifted but you hit on a really important point which is at some point you consolidate at some point you get people thinking things differently and then at some point uh, I'm sure your CIO went okay I want I want to keep seeing, you know, sort of costs align with the business. So, you know, keep driving automation, keep managing this thing better. How much, I mean, how much did you guys have to build your own management tools? How much are you able to use kind of what's commercially available? And especially when you're talking about automation, you start getting into people that, you know, from a skill set perspective, guys that, you know, maybe used to run operations or used to do architecture, uh, it would be helpful if they had some sort of developer kind of skills or kind of more advanced than just scripting, you know, so like what, you know, without going into the details, how do you guys deal with the management of this, especially globally, you've got, you know, demands, what, what's, what's that look like internally? I'll tell you without con- strength that, that, that this is hard once you've done the, the virtualization piece and once you've kind of got the, the the main components where you need them it gets really harder the further the further you go or gets much harder the further you go up the stack some of the the automation and orchestration components we've had to hand write and we've had to sort of deal with a lot of of our own for want of a better word middleware that that deals with with how to to orchestrate and how to automate and how to report and how to manage Again, you know, you, one could argue that that might be because of, of the hypervisor technology that we use and, and, you know, maybe there are other options in that space. But it, it, it's difficult. It's difficult. And, and not to get into the whole question around chargeback, which brings in a whole other right. set of complexities right, right, right. depending on how organizations deal with it. But, you know, the, the, the goal generally of, of, of any sort of forward-thinking organization, I, I feel, and, and again, in talking to other organizations, I kind of get this again and again, it, it really is, from a kind of a financial perspective, it, it really is about trying to introduce as much variable cost as you can into the equation and try and remove as much fixed cost as you can. Yep. And I think in, in many organizations that seems to lead towards public cloud, and, and understandably so. But there are definitely options within the, the private cloud environment to, to, to talk to, to large and small vendors alike in how to position things in very different ways commercially as we, as we used to seeing and i think any organization who has a problem with paying for what they use is a is a strange organization in, in my in estimation but any organization that is quite happy to pay for things that they don't use is equally strange and so somewhere in in the middle um you know when you add all the kind of pieces together of, of what we you really try and achieve 
and again, there's been a lot of talk about this in, 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 the, in the sort of Twitter sphere around the Jevons paradox and this, this kind of concern that, that um, IT budgets will, will definitely shrink as cloud becomes more adopted. I think that's kind of the wrong end of the telescope for me. Yeah, I think yeah. if you can align your cost with you know, your usage of IT, then if you use more than you would use normally in terms of spend, and that's probably an indication that your organization is doing well if you're truly aligned. And so I don't. I, I think that challenge is, is, is kind of a little bit alien to, to people who haven't gone through what we've gone through so far. But, you know, the, the, the question certainly around will cloud save money, I don't necessarily know that save is the right word. I think it's more of an alignment question. In that same vein, right, so you've, you've said on a number of occasions sort of publicly and in various places that a lot, of the, a lot of the vendors or a lot of the consortiums, whether the standards bodies or whatever, aren't really listening to customers. They're not taking customers' input as much as, as they really could, right? You guys t- talk about going to Sand Hill Road. You talk about going to places. So OpenStack is, is trying to do that. You've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of your support of it or you like the concept of it. Where do you see things like that going where you've got this sort of mix of, of vendors who, who obviously have some bias because they, they want to tie into things where they drive revenue, but you've got, you know, something that sort of originated as a customer thing. It's got some, some public cloud tie-in, so there's some knowledge there. Like, where do you see tools like that going? Is that a good thing for you guys? Is that more confusion for what you're doing? Like, how does that fit into your bigger picture? OpenStack's a really interesting thing, I, you know, I, I think for for a, for a bunch of reasons, there's a lot of people interested in in and invested in the success of OpenStack, not only from kind of Rackspace, of course, and and, uh, and Citrix, but but a bunch of other ecosystem partners that are out there. My my hope for OpenStack, and and again, this is a, a public thing, is that it will become essentially the de facto standard for for kind of a cloud platform. And I choose the words platform very carefully there because I think the, the platform could be very high vertically or it could be very low and and by that i mean it depends on whether the leadership of openstack want to drive it upwards to you know above the compute and storage into some of the the challenges that i talked about earlier around application management and and such where i think is a you know openstack ceases then to be a cto discussion and it begins to be a cio discussion in, in my experience i i think to, to use openstack as, as an example I, I think it would be great if they could figure out a way of engaging more of what they call the corporate target market. It's great to do it from a service provider perspective because, you know, if I'm going to be a service provider like a Rackspace or a GoGrid or a Terramark or a Carpathia or whoever it is, and I pick the OpenStack platform, then I have a, by definition, a level of abstraction from the customer because I'm providing a public IaaS service. That's a very different proposition when you want to bring something in-house and so and build out the private cloud. And so, I think where OpenStack to me is a fantastic opportunity is to try and bring what you know we, we all know today is not there around a standard platform for deploying public slash private clouds such that the movement of resources through those from public to private and back again becomes less of a, of a, of a science and, and more of an art. And by that, I mean, you know, when you've truly got compatibility from a kind of a a standard platform approach between all sorts of different vendors, then, you know, and I kind of mentioned this to to Winston Bumpus from from DMTF, was I think to make it truly successful and to say, okay, cloud now has become an absolute commodity and an absolute reality, you have to kind of approach it in the same way that, that, that USB was done. 
And it's kind of a strange analogy. But if you think about USB, it's a well-known standard. It's understood by a lot of different organizations that make things for USB. It's very interoperable. But the best thing about USB is that there was an entire market built on top of it. And so my point to OpenStack is not to, to try and say, you know, if you, if you close it up or, you, you know, do it a certain way, that's going to participate and, you know, all people are going to participate and that's going to create a revenue stream for certain people. My point being that if it truly becomes the standard, the equivalent of the USB, then lots of different organizations will find ways of building and creating revenue streams on top of that. And so from a customer perspective, that gives us a lot of advantage over lock. In and, and having choice and having the knowledge that we can move things between OpenStack-enabled cloud providers without worrying about whether our certification on the applications is invalidated because where we move the application to, we don't know whether the underlying hypervisor technology or the underlying platform technology is materially going to affect the application. And that's a big concern when you think about moving from public to private. And so I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of the OpenStack project. I, I, I think it will be it will be successful. Um, but I w- again, and it's not just OpenStack, but other other um, efforts that are being put together. I'd like to see a lot more of the of the kind of the the, the corporation uh, involved in that to try and help with the direction and, and to try and sort of help the guys understand where the real challenges are, so that things like OpenStack don't just become you know, a, a solution looking for a problem that becomes something that can be adopted and, and is fit for purpose on day one. And so, Christian, so, uh, and, and I see this, you see it so many times over when, whenever the vendors get involved in, in consortiums like this, do you see it helping for vendors to get more involved or potentially hurting? Because you, you, there's plenty of examples out there uh, for both sides. And so, let's pick a couple big vendors, and if they were to get involved, do you think that would actually move it along or do you think it would hinder the uh, the adoption that's a good question you know i mean I, again in, in a similar way i kind of don't want to stray too much on a vendor pitch here but but in a similar way <laughs> that, that i can see a lot of attraction in the in the vce strategy from a from a, a, a user perspective not necessarily from a technology perspective but but from a user perspective i can see a lot of benefit in in that if openstack was to find a way of becoming part of a solution that had maybe a hardware play, and, and, and there are a couple of big hardware vendors out there that I could think of that, that might benefit from, from that as a strategy, well, of course I'll mention no names, then I, I think it could be hugely successful if that was to be a go-to-market strategy where, you know, instead of, or, or, or as well as, maybe not instead of, a VCE, I can pick a XYZ, which consists of other um, hardware hardware manufacturers and open stack and a support mechanism similar to VCE that would give you know the equivalent of, of a VCE but using sort of the open stack uh, concepts so again it would it would largely depend on on what the the vendors who are involved what their ultimate strategy is but certainly being able to do some kind of commercial offering slash support around open stack um, if done correctly I could see that being a, a, a huge opportunity for, for, for vendors to, to do well with that well, and I, and I think, you know, I, I think you highlight two really interesting things. One is you highlight the fact that what's what's important to you as a builder and, and, and architect and, and ultimately consumer of this stuff is, you know, you want things that, that drive services for your business, right, as opposed to thinking about the hardware or the technology. And then I think the other thing that, that's, that to me was really important or really interesting about what you kept talking about was 
it's about driving growth, right? It's not about being focused on saving cost per se, which, you know, I think at the end of the day, when people are focused on, on trying to drive growth and drive new things, you get a, a far more creative, you get a far more, far better kind of, of outcome that comes out of this stuff. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you guys have taken that approach. I think it sounds like it served you very, very well, as opposed to the folks who, who go into some of their, their problems where their CIO says we have to change and they look purely at, at driving cost changes. Yeah, I, you know, I think the, the, the cost things, uh, it's, it's important, but, but I think there's a big difference between controlling cost and, and, and offering value. And obviously value means different things to different organizations, but, you know, the value to us is the ability to be able to use what we've built to, and, and in the next sort of phases of the strategy, it just doesn't end here. You know, we plant the flag for private cloud and say we, we've won the war. You know, what we've built now allows us, as I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier on the iPad, it, it allows us a whole new way of dealing with information, which in within our core business is, is kind of apart from the safety aspect of, of what we do. You know, information and the information flow is, is the number one thing that, that, that people are concerned about around, you know, timely information flow to aid decision making right the way through the, the kind of the scope of what we do. You know, and, and, and by building the, the, the platform we have, we can begin to derive all sorts of value that we, we never thought possible by continuing to, to sort of leverage the, the things that we've built and then expanding that out to, to, to mobile devices and different platforms and then opening it up for, for, for different organizations to be involved with in a similar way, kind of, again, somewhat of a strange analogy, but in a similar way to, to the way that Netflix have approached what they're doing, you know, in terms of their API strategy, then I think it's probably fair to say that, that, that we, from what we do, have a very similar view in terms of the way that we want to connect anybody that has a vested interest into our information, you know, such that they can, they can derive the value from that both to their organization and, of course, to our own business. And something else I was going to add is the growth that you're talking about, I also use another word, opportunity, right? And so to kind of bring it around to a, an, another post that you had on your blog recently is you mentioned the idea of a cloud opportunity. And I really like that, that analogy or that, that phrase because you're, you're really describing how do you grow from a traditional IT organization into a private cloud organization and you use the term replatform and I really like that because it is a good concept of how do you actually go get money for all of this right and so if you could talk a little bit about what you believe about the replatform for public cloud because I thought that your concepts there were, were spot on and actually that is something I saw in a lot of my customers before of hey I want to do this but I don't really have a whole lot of money to go do this. So how do I go find that money, right? It's interesting. And the, the, the point about the cloud opportunity was really around, and it kind of ties into the question directly, you know, large organizations and, and not just ours, but other ones that, that, that I've talked to about similar challenges, they have a lot of money set aside for what I would class as kind of just keeping the lights on. So the typical maintenance of applications or the maintenance of infrastructure that's kind of an interesting when you when you add it up across organizations that's a lot of money which i would say is really not providing all that much innovation and so what you kind of have to do is look at look at that spend and say is, is there a way that i can actually divert some of that i think our, our, our cio once sort of half jokingly called it a flexible funding model where you say you know instead of pouring the money into this for really very little gain 
I'm going to probably, you know, think of a way to stop doing that, stop that non-investment in this particular technology or this particular area, and then look at how I can divert that what would have been the sort of the sunk spend into something a little bit more innovative. And I think organizations that have just, you know, kind of do the yearly budgeting thing and they say, well, you know, we spent X million dollars on maintenance, so we're going to do that for next year. I think they're the opportunities. And, and when I mentioned about the cloud opportunity there, I think that's where you, you find the money for replatforming. It may not be necessarily a wholesale thing that you can do all at once, but certainly looking at areas where you would essentially pour money in for no material gain other than keeping the lights on. I think they're the, they're the opportunity spaces that I meant in, in terms of cloud opportunity. And that could be you know, replatforming your internal tool sets for a, a private cloud, or it could be looking at opportunities to you know, take applications and, and move them to, to public cloud, if that makes sense, of course, you know, from a security perspective and, and all the other things that we probably won't go into. But from purely a cost perspective, you know, be a little bit more about, you know, making sure that every dollar that you spend is a dollar invested, I think is probably the easiest way to describe it. Well, with that, since we're, we're talking about money, I, th I think from a timing perspective, uh, we're going to have to call that the money shot. Christian, thank you very, very much for the time today. That was, it was very, very insightful. Very good conversation. We we probably could do this again. Maybe we'd like to have you back on at some point in time. You can. We talked a lot about where you guys have come from and how you've got to where you're going. It'd be great to have you on at some point uh, in the future to talk about you know where you're going next, what you guys are thinking about since you're leading things. So, uh, thank you very much from from both of us. And uh, with that, we're going to wrap up. Uh, thank you very much for. for wait, 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 Christian, Christian, you gotta you gotta pimp your stuff. What's your? What's oh your yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're, we're well. We're, <laughs> We're amateurs at this stuff. So, yeah. Christian, where do we find you? If people want to stalk you on the internet, where do they go find you? So, you can find my uh, blog at uh, blog.theloosecouple.com. And then you can also find me pouring out my heart on Twitter at RileyUSA, which is R E I L L Y U S A. And it's been a pleasure, guys. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, hope to talk to you both soon. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. And thanks to everybody who's listening. Well,